Mr. Pranta Munro, welcome to London, sir. Thanks, Matt. What a pleasure to be shooting the energy show in your midst. Live from London. Live. Well, from Tussle. I'm alive, that's for sure. $100 uranium. I'm feeling very alive. What about you? Well, I bet you, I bet you are. Yeah. I'm about to say, we're, we're going to go and celebrate after this. Um, breaking 100 bucks is, is, it happened really quickly. Surprise, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, September, we were delighted when it broke through $70. And now we're at hundred dollars already. And the last jump, which we'll talk about, yeah. overnight ninety-four to hundred, so up more than six percent in a night. Now there's some good reasons, as we switched on our phones this morning, as yeah. to what the people were thinking when they were prepared to pay hundred dollars a pound. But the point is, triple digits already. Yeah, it's, it's amazing actually. And we, we should talk. We can talk a little bit about geopolitics, as we always do for the last three, three and a half years. We've been talking about the influencers and drivers. So it's not just as simple as, you know, demand and supply. It's who's driving the narrative and actually where that uranium's going, east or west. So we're going to start with a little bit of, I'm going to go east news, Kazatom from this morning. So that's obviously who was prepared to pay $100 a pound, suspected yeah. that perhaps Kazatom is having some production issues. And yeah. in fairness, it hasn't um, been a particularly well-kept secret within the industry. Yeah. So for everyone, let's do a quick history lesson. Yes. Zadamprom, largest producer in the world. Uh, Kazakh materials responsible for about 40% of the world's uranium, ranking them by far the biggest uranium producer in the world, with Canada and then Namibia still standing on the diet uh, second and third place. Enormously... Um, imposing if you compare that to saudi arabia's influence what are they 14 percent of world oil so it's an enormous imposing um, production level uh. and very influential for that reason back in 2017 we all got excited out of our uh, sort of uranium slumber because kazadamprom announced that they would reduce their production by 10 percent Mm. That go down from 100% production levels to 90%. And I can remember our Bannerman share price tripled in about three weeks. And mm. so our shareholders enjoyed the news. And then a year later, or at the end of that year, they announced, well, that wasn't enough. We're going to take it down to 80%. And that's important because under the Kazakh mining legislation, to get a subsoil use contract, which we would call a mining license, you have to commit to a particular production profile for each asset, and you're only allowed to go up or down by a maximum of 20%. Otherwise, you have to go back to the government and renegotiate. And even a state-owned entity like Kazadamprom doesn't want to do that. So they took it all the way down to the bottom corridor of 80% less. This year was about was supposed to be the year that they returned to 90%, because, you know, pretty mm. good conditions and mm. good price and very profitable. And overnight, they've just announced, uh, sorry, that's going to be tough. Acid availability is the primary driver and the primary reason. They're struggling to get enough sulfuric acid. And, um, you know, we're led to believe that it's pretty challenging out there generally trying to push those assets um, harder than how they're producing at the moment. The realities of mining hitting home. Now, given that they're such a major contributor and producer and supplier to the world obviously more recently they're, they're you know they're the production talkers you know head, heading over to china um but 
how does a company like that, who've been doing this such a long time, find themselves in such a mess? It's not just, it's about, surely it's about planning. Surely it's about making sure you can secure the asset. Surely it's about not over, not overstretching yourself when it comes to commitments to contracts, which they have signed all around the world. Um, that's going to make utility, well, clearly have made a lot of utilities very, very nervous if the big guys can can get it so wrong. In a relatively small and therefore nascent uh, sector, how many more companies will get this wrong? Whether it be the build-out phase, the ability to you know um, produce effectively com and commercially, by that I mean economically, and then stay afloat. Um, utilities are going to be hedging their best, they're front and centre, aren't they? So look, couple of points here, Matt. The, the first one is I wouldn't be nearly as critical as you just have been in the sense that it's not a mess, it's just what happens in mining, particularly within situ recovery. You know, you don't have the same level of control as you do if you're actually digging the material up, seeing what it is, measuring it on a radiometric scanner, which is what we will do at Anonymous Tango Project. You just don't have that control. So. Um, I don't think it's about finger pointing. I don't think there's a whole lot to blame. I don't think it's poor planning. It's just life with mining. Mm. And if you're in a country that doesn't have um, a lot of excess sulfuric acid, as the Kazakhs are at the moment, they're, they're, um, they've got very good copper um, sulfide deposits. They produce a lot of acid, but they've probably decided to sell it elsewhere. And in that situation, you're at the back of the queue to find that asset. If, so, I'm, if I'm a shareholder, I am going to take the stance of you need to get more organized guys. I'd, I'd be kind of furious because if, if it was entirely, I know it's partially public, they would be hit really hard by, it's kind of like, you know, when, when companies were sort of just in time with their inventory and, and, and supplies pre-COVID and then COVID comes along and says, well, actually, maybe that's not such a good idea. We're all going to be uh, short on a lot of stuff here. We're going to have to build up our inventories again. It's that risk management component that kind of worries me from a big guy. Well, let's wait and see what shareholders think because this is an OPEC-like situation. Mm. They can say, right, we're going to miss our production by 10% and their revenue could go up by 20%. How good's that? It's <laughs> such a big producer. Yeah. You know, this is true. This, this is true. Well, it moved the uranium price overnight by more than 6%. So... Um, they're kind of nicely hedged there. So I don't know how many shareholders are going to get too excited about that. There's a lot of shareholders in other uranium companies who are yeah. very excited, mind you. But if we come back to what does it really mean? What are the implications? First big implication is together with saying they were going from 80% to 90% in 2024, they also said, and we'll be back to 100% in 2025. Mm. That's looking like a sort of a political type announcement now. And that now looks pretty unlikely. Okay. So, so, where, so what are they doing now? They're on the open market, clearly buying. Um, not a lot around. So that's going to drive the price. Is it, it's not, I don't think it's helpful for me because they kind of, kind of create, is it going to create a, a spike and it's going to fall back, fall back down or are we going to see a sustained, I kind of like this slow growth, but we're seeing nothing like it. As you say, since September and, and the year before, quite frankly, we've made from 32 to, to 100 in very short order. Is that is that a good thing? Is it gonna make people nervous? Are you gonna see shorters in the market? There's non-believers, how, how do you play this? Well, I did say that to Mr. Borshoff at the moment. I think his perhaps would uh, like to have a discussion about that one, but 
Do you think we'll see more of that, or do you think we're we're in for a good time? I think we're going to see more volatility. Everything points to that. No, 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 I've just I'm in London because I've been talking to a whole host of traders and utilities and mm. market participants around World Nuclear Association working group meetings. Mm. There wasn't a single conversation where someone said ninety-five dollars is going down. Right. Everyone acknowledges that the the risk is to the up. Okay. Now, where the conversations stop abruptly with the utilities is when you ask them, well, how far? Yeah. Yeah. 120, 150 was possible. Yeah. And we just need to remember that this uranium price, this sector, prospered as a result of the oil crisis in the 70s. And in real dollar terms, mm-hmm. uranium price spent six, seven years above $200 in today's numbers. So the sector can thrive. Mm. And the sector is about to thrive. The positive momentum amongst a host of different announcements is extraordinary at the moment. You know, just this week, just while I was talking to all of these groups at WNA, we had the French announce that uh, yeah. they're going to go from 18 to 14. Amazing. From 8 to 14 reactors. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yes. We're starting to see some of the follow through. Are they smaller? Because they were at 70% with, yeah. on 8. So what does 14 do for them? Are these smaller... In the sense of the reactor sizes or not? No, they're EPRs. They're really? Six gigawatts. What are they going to be selling it to Germany? Oh, there's an idea. There's a, you, do you prepare the marketing plan for that one? We've got a German in the background. I've got to be careful. We've got the wrench audience Lobbed over. Um, uh, the, no, but that, that, I think that's really interesting. So, you know, the French were already kind of one felt, you know, maxed out. Um, and the every name, name a country that's not a yeah that's the, no no that'd be a great Christmas on, game that's, they're, they're pretty well catered for electricity yeah but electricity growth is going to grow and um, by so much yeah they're building these fourteen reactors for decarbonising industrial heating for providing yeah, yeah. district heating for hydrogen production cars um for yeah. for electric vehicles the yeah. additional um take on electricity on the highways german industrial the difference and the, and of course Sir, that's a serious point yeah it's going to be a field day selling electricity and other forms of yeah. ener- uh, clean energy yeah. into germany yeah you know? so clearly they've got a vision their vision makes sense they're not blinkered about the role of mm. nuclear energy in the broader decarbonization debate and what people forget is when you talk about energy, well, electricity is only 25 to 30% of that. Most people think it's all about electricity, mm-hmm. but it's a small part. Yep. And when it comes to decarbonizing industry, it's very challenging for anything except uh, next generation nuclear. So before we bounce over to North America, I've got to talk about one of your countrymen, Fortescue. What? WTF, I think, is the flight phrase saying, Nicholas, the, the, is he a chairman or CEO? I can't remember. He's saying, Nicholas is ridiculous, too expensive. It's, it's wind and solar for, for us, and it should be for Australia. So am I interesting? Where, where is Australia? I thought, I thought the politicians were starting to talk you know, positively about it. I thought the narrative was changing, and, and certainly market leaders like Andrew Forster Fortescue uh, uh, should be surely pro-nuclear, but that debate still runs and runs over that. Yeah, it's still running. Look, I haven't clocked those comments from Andrew Forrest. I've nicely insulated all the way to London, or maybe they came out and I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But some advantages to having your white by author times like that. Yeah. 
Um, he's been a huge proponent on green hydrogen. Mm. And he's got no choice at the moment because Australia's got a ludicrous law against nuclear energy. Mm. And that law is overreaching into what's economically good for the country and what's not. And last time I checked, it's markets who determine that, not governments. But anyway, be that as it may. So his only option to become a czar of green hydrogen in Australia is to go with wind and solar because the best and most effective solution, which is high temperature gas reactors and mm. um, even conventional nuclear, which enables hot electrolysis, not crappy cold electrolysis, not available to him. So he's, he's, he's in a corner there. Talking his book. Well, I suppose so. Um, right. He's a uh, rich list contending cousin in the form of Gina Reinhardt. She's mm. taking a totally different view. Yeah. And she's calling it for what it is. It's crazy that Australia thinks it's got any hope of decarbonising, maintaining the economy and the lifestyle and the industry that we've still got, mm. unless we go down a nuclear path. And, and it's been really pleasing to see how vocal she's right. Okay, so in the case of uh, Australia, you pick the billionaire whose opinion matches yours and you'll be fine. Good. Um, <laughs> well, BHP is saying the same thing. I so know. I know. I, I, I joke because I the iron ore battles. You've got uh, in the blue corner. You've got Andrew Forrester. Yeah. Rio, who are scared to say anything that could be controversial for anybody. Yeah. And then you've got BHP and Gina Reinhardt in the. Was that the blue or the red corner? The I know. Corner. I know, but it's kind of funny because I, I kind of grew up my old man and um and, and business all, all around the world, and he had worked with people like you know Larry Allison. Oracle and 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 the great and the good, right? You know, sometimes I could, we could name drop it for you, but because you made money in one area, and you did really really well in one area, it, it was it became very apparent even when I was quite young. Didn't make you an expert in all other areas. So the kind of you commentary mean your lane doesn't just go like that. Yeah, you suddenly become very clever. No, it's not true. And people will follow you to a degree because you made a lot of money in one area. They think you're a billionaire, so you must be super smart on all topics. So far removed from the truth. And and you know, we've got some fantastic stories. Maybe when we're having a glass or two of one tonight, we can celebrate. Celebrate one hundred. It's a centenary. Um, I can tell you about some of, some, some of those massive mistakes and huge, huge amounts of money lost by these genius billionaires. But like, we can't get it out right. All of us can't get it right all the time. Um, let's bounce to North America because yeah. I think some fantastic things happening there at the moment. Uh, we're, we've seen a lot of M&A. We saw a fantastic, in fact, if I spoke to CEO last night um, uh, of Atha Energy. They've kind of brought together New York of Atreus 92 Energy. I told you he'd get his own baron. These Germans, these Germans. That's the alarm when Germany loses another ten percent of its industry for lack of. That's energy. right. He's right. Switch your lights off. It's like uh, another ten percent. Boom. That's right. Um, so we've seen after energy. I think it's a great. They brought together ninety two energy, Schwann Lancaster's company, uh, Latitude Energy, and, and they also had I think a ten percent option on ten percent of the ISO. Uh, energy and uh, next chance properties also so basically they've got the, they've, 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 they've circled the wagons around the Athabasca Basin it says sensible guy and, and other jurisdictions in Canada as well right but it, but it's a, it's, a, it's I, what I like about it is there seems to be a sensible plan and I like that but they oh, it's you know that's one we've got you know consolidated running with their portfolio of whatever they've got uh, we've seen UEC and Denison do the same sorts of things, a lot of and a lot of money around. You, you, you know, we've had the, these conversations offline about the amount of money available for looking for good uranium projects and to back teams and so forth. So, 
I like the consolidation play. I, again, I didn't expect that to happen so quickly, but I like that because you've got to go and try and find the good stuff quickly because all the crap is coming out of the back of the drawer, being well, dusted off, and, and, and we're seeing a lot of new projects. We, we, we said that would do, but it's not so a good thing for the sector as a whole, I don't think. Wow. I think it distracts. I think some of these projects are never destined, destined to produce, and I think that investors like us will have a lot of value destroyed by focusing on money and getting excited about promotion about something which is never, ever going to get into production. And if you want to play that promotional game, that, that's fine, that's on you. But for me, and certainly our family also, when we're chucking money at stuff, we want to back good teams with good assets which actually have intent to get over the line. Yeah, so I hear you because yeah, you've done enough m and I've done enough m and that we know that one plus one sometimes equals four and a half and sometimes it equals 1.5. Right, and we can read through a transaction and at least have a view on if it's adding value or if it's more just about trying to get bigger for extra liquidity and so on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's an exciting moment for promoters mm. that doesn't always generate value. And we've been very disciplined at Bannerman about m and We've had a look at a lot of different things. Hey, by the way, well done on the um, running licence. Yeah, thanks. Well, that's well, it. Exactly. So she rarefied air. Really does. It, it puts us in a very unique category. Yeah. Because we're shovel ready with a big project, expansion potential. So what we've come to realise from an M and A point of view is, we've already got a pipeline. Mm. In the sense that uh, our initial phase is three and a half million pounds, and we're now working on exactly what the expansion case to seven million pounds. But you already done most of the work on that you know, years ago, no? We did, yeah. You started bigger and then kind of got smaller. Which is funny to me because it was like a reaction. When the market was tough, people were like, that's too big. Yeah, we got that thing financed. I think today, but yeah, you would. But, but you've got both. You've got the option on, on both three and, and, and a half. And actually yeah. better going two steps than one single yeah, step. Interesting. And that's what's really nice about it. Is that around the cost of money because you've got revenue get flowing? Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay, brilliant. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. So but what we've come to realise is, well, in fact... We've got that pipeline. And as we started to think about it, we thought, so what does that really mean? Well, it means that we can bring on totally at our option another project in the same all body that we understand yeah. with the same employees, with a few extras, yeah. same jurisdiction, same stakeholders, yeah. um, same transport infrastructure, everything. So I can make the argument that it's got a huge advantage yeah. on someone buying another project and bringing that into consideration. Well, me, me with my banking hat on, I'm, I'm talking to you about that and you go, right, oh, he's done it over here. My confidence mm -hmm. is so far you know, further ahead. Um, and the money would be cheaper, and all of those good things. Yes. If you wanted to do and replicate that again, of course. But it kind of, I, kind of, I guess, it leads on to um, a, a, another question here, and that that's got to be around in terms of again w wider market type stuff. We've um, and we mustn't leave North America because there's been some big news. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 we love North America. We really, really, really do. Um, and and I do want to talk about it because it's like. You'd like to say the MA's one thing side of things, but there's there's some lots of other things happening there. Um, for you and at Bannerman, you've got to get this thing finance, right? You've got to time that, right? So are you nervous about starting that process of, of, of financing, or, or is it really just a question of timing the conversations to match when the contract price catches up with or is seen to catch up with 
spot price? Because at the moment, what, what is contracting at roughly? Well, the latest print on the contract, the long-term contract yeah. price is $68. It's all a bit opaque, so it's hard to kind of put a, get a finger up. It's roughly there or thereabouts, isn't it? It is, but here's the thing. I'll come back to talk about those um, other aspects. Mm. What happens in contracting and reporting mm. is the contracting process from when you would put a proposal or respond to a request to a utility, put the number in, that they go, all right, fine, we'll do it. Uh. Then there's a term sheet. Then there's putting it into full contractual form. Mm. Then you ink the contract. Then you tell the price reporter. Yeah. So in an efficient market, that's about two months. Right. So we get a print or we get a, a recorded price. Can that number change throughout? If you start... No, typically. No, okay. Usually, right? So you don't actually want to rush into that conversation right now, do you? Well, no, and we, and we haven't been. And, but the point is that that $68, you might say, why is there such a big gap between 68 and 100? Mm -hmm. Well, probably we were trading $70 spot when that 68 was done. So there is a big lag. And for many investors, they're not picking that. They don't understand that there's a natural lag built here yeah. in the system. And then there's also an additional psychological lag, mm. which is when you see a uranium price go up that quickly, Yeah. The utilities, they need to see it there for a while before they're prepared to use it as a basis right. for, their, for their pricing decisions. So if I look at someone like um, Global again recently, they've announced their third contract sign. I don't think it's a particularly big contract, so let's be really clear no, about no, that one. They're good-sized contracts based on what I've read. But yeah. Right, okay. But, but they haven't signed away everything. They haven't always signed away their life, as, as, as my point. Yep. They, they, they just want the... Well, partly they want to get something in the bag. Let's get something in the bag. We're making money at this rate because they're... Yeah, they've got great. They've got great economics because they've got like a high grade starter on on the west flank. Um, but do you think who else, who else is going to be able to kind of drive those contracts which are signed, which allows everyone else to kind of see the the number rising quickly? How do we go from sixty eight to eighty eight? I guess is my point. Well, the other thing is how do you report the price of a market related contract that's got a floor and a ceiling? Yeah, yeah. So Boss Energy's announced some contracts. Yeah, Duncan doing a good job over there. Yeah, yeah, timing it beautifully. Yep. Um, so that's going to be the difficult thing for investors to follow until we see more contracts and more liquidity around that. That what they, you know, what I think investors can take from this conversation mm. is the fact that you're seeing sixty-eight dollars as the reported price. Yeah, does not mean that that's what you would expect a company that's in a position to contract yeah as we stand today um achieving in a I, 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 believe me I, I expect most people um retail invested in companies will be using the hundred dollar number so and that's probably not right either <laughs> right so that's because i'm a millionaire at a hundred dollars <laughs> not i don't want to hear a 68 so but I, but it's, it's really a question you know how, so how quickly can does that move and advance to a point where you're capturing some of those gains that spot has seen to something you know, well above center price and, and, and well into the money as, as a result. Because yeah. um, you, you guys put out a, a number, I think you put out a, a 60 buck number and an 80 buck number. 65 and 80. 65 and 80 a, a while back. 65 was solid. The 80, uh, hap, hap, happy days, right? So, you know, for you, you'd be looking at, well, I'm, I'm kind of keen to see this thing move through into the 80s. Yeah? Yeah. You've got a view on timing of that or what's, what are the drivers for that? 
Okay, so now let's talk about potential drivers. We're, we're in a high potential, high volatility phase in this market. So apart from the Kasadam prom news overnight, which can have a multitude of yeah. secondary effects. Right. Bearing in mind that Kazadam Prom announced last year that they were achieving record sales. Yeah. What we deduced from that is that every utility who's got a contract with Kazadam Prom is exercising the maximum upward flex. Which was 20. Usually 20%. 20%. Yeah. Contract by contract, but yeah. typically 20%. There might be options on top of that. Yeah. So if you've if you you're squeezing every last pound out of a Kazadam Prom contract, mm. so at the same time where they're um, having some production challenges, mm -hmm. they're not having problems selling their pounds, and it's widely speculated that they need to acquire pounds, either off their joint venture partners in in Kazakhstan, mm -hmm. or even potentially from the open market. So there's a multitude mm -hmm. of secondary effects. And most of those assets are in joint ventures. So when Kazadamprom says we're not going to achieve our ninety percent, yeah, yeah, that's some Murano pounds that they're not going to yeah. get. That's some Gamico yeah. pounds that they're not going to get. Some uh, uh, uranium one pounds that they're not going to get. Some of the traders aren't going to get those pounds. Yeah, joint ventures in Kazakhstan. Yeah. Okay, that's the first thing. Now the other thing is the market, and particularly the market participants that I've been talking to in London this week, they are intently watching for the US Senate passing the yeah. Russian sanctions bill. The so that's got through, is that, so it's gone through the House, and now it needs to go through the Senate. Yeah. Again, is there a timing on that? No. Right, so, okay. That's going to be a bit frustrating. I've had, I've had opinions ranging from this month through to the end of March, and we, we just don't know. There's there's nothing that's pushing the Senate at the moment. Yeah. There's no particular horse trading on other issues that yeah. would interfere with that. So we just need to wait and see. But there seems to be a feeling, even amongst the US players uh, who I've been talking to, that there's a high likelihood of that um, occurring. Now, that is going to be a significant catalyst for financial players entering this market. I think we're going to see yeah. the ETS start to get engorged with generalist investor money, if we don't see in, uh, investment directly into Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, yeah. we'll see it come in through the allocations from these big ETFs, the same with Yellow Cake up in here in London. Mm. So the market's watching that for having a significant catalyst effect, if it indeed goes that way and takes place. I've been intrigued on the timing, because America doesn't have a plan B. I know they've, they've talked about a bit of money, not a lot of money. Um, and they've been allocating some money through IRA, but it's it's all way way downstream. It'd, it'd be nice to sort of see some of the miners, you know, get 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 back to the 1950s America, where they're actually yep. putting money where their mouth is, helping. Right. So, um, so a little, a little bit of that. So, um, America's starting to wake up. We've been again talking about it for three years. They needed to, and, and they is are an aggressive version of yep. sanctions. In the time that we've been talking about the different sanction bills that are being put forward. Mm -hmm. Might remember there was a soft sanctions where it was yeah. introduced until twenty twenty seven. Yeah, this is like the Johnny Walker whiskey of sanction sanctions. Really? None, none of this Budweiser light. Johnny, it's Johnny Blue. Blue. Well, I'd, I'd go black. I'd go black because there's a waiver. Um, basically, how it works. Yeah, so ban kicks in ninety days after it becomes law. So that's goes through the Senate. That's a grass. President Biden signs it. Yeah. 90 days later, the ban kicks in. Yeah. There is a waiver, 
Yeah. But the waiver is fraught with uncertainty. And the one thing that's known about the waiver is any waiver applicants, their identity becomes made public. So the utilities are concerned about a public shaming aspect to the yeah. waiver yeah. that's going to be difficult for them to navigate from their public support. Again, if, I, if, I, if I'm Putin from Russia, I'd be like, F you. You sign that? Okay. We're, and then we we're, can see potential retaliation. And yeah. I, I don't think it's likely. Retaliation, retaliation other than the amount of sanctions already in place. And, and you know, yeah. The, but retaliation from, for example, President Putin, who says, well, if you're going to create all these conditions on our nuclear fuel... I, I'll stop now. Like it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I don't think that's likely. But well, it's a small it's sector. Really it's such a small sector. I, 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 again, I don't think it's, it's going to hurt their balance sheet. I think the Ukraine war is hurting their balance sheet, but I don't think, you know, not selling to the US is going to harm them. You know, uh, but anyway, like, we'll see how that all plays out. What are the other things that you sort of, trade, you know, dr catching your eye in terms of that Canadian explorer developer market? The U.S. is uh, again in terms of the um, explorers are, are, are waking up. I think so, I was going to say some better than others. Yes, yeah, some better than others, um, and and some more likely than others to actually be able to supply into the market. I, you know me, I, I like the companies actually going to do something. The you guys, so you got to produce powers. I'll talk about producing powers. Um, what, what, are, what are you seeing in the North American market here? Because we've got some big boys like Energy Fuels and I guess UVC. Doing, doing their talking their book as well. We're seeing lots of new entrants in, in North America. Well, look, if ever there was a chance for a North American producer, either who are close to production or are restarting, mm. now's the time. Yeah, now's the time. There's such strong support amongst the utilities for North America, U.S. origin. Homegrown. Yeah, homegrown. And mm. um, now they can't get even a small proportion of what they need from the U.S. And that's where they start to look elsewhere. Obviously. So I'm going next. Australian uranium is well yeah. regarded. Canadian uranium is well regarded. And yeah. Namibian uranium is well regarded. Well, there's, there's where it's going next. Actually, I was just kind of setting it up. We're going east, west, and then there's a whole bunch. There's a bunch of boys in the middle. Yourself, right? Yourselves included. Namibia, Niger, uh, predominantly. Um, what does that do for you? Because there's, there's a tug of war going on here. And at the end of the day, you've got to do the best thing for your shareholders. Um, but at the same time, the lure of capital coming out of not just China, but Middle East as well. You know, we talked about Riyadh's conference this week um, and others will be clamoring for this. The French, obviously, with, you know, what's been going on in Niger, will be looking, and as you say, I mean, going from eight to 14, they're going to need to kind of secure their supply. There's the homegrown, not homegrown stuff, but there's the home, their home team. Mm. I've got fingers and lots of pies around the world, but Canada's a, you know, difficult place to actually produce pounds. We've got lots of licensing permitting issues. Time frame there is, is, is another thing. The Americans are a lot of half million pound here, half million pound there. It doesn't kind of sate the appetite or demand. So how do the African players play in this geopolitical arena, which we're starting to see getting a little bit more fervent? It's a great time to have a uranium origin that mm. can trade and be utilized anywhere in the world. And that's what Namibian origin uranium is. That's its key advantage in a bifurcated market. So if we fast forward, we say, right, the uh, Russian sanctions bill now has been introduced. Mm. We thought without retaliatory measures from Russia, mm. we're now into a bifurcated market regime. Yep. Namibian uranium can go anywhere. 
And that doesn't mean that we're going to be signing up contracts with the Russians, but it means that if our uranium finds its way into Russian materials, such as through, there's a number of mechanisms like return feed, mm-hmm. um, our Namibian uranium can go anywhere without getting caught up in a bifurcation. And you're not, so you're just not, you're not talking about bifurcated in, in purely in financial sense. Hopefully, I think there will, that will be a knock-on effect. Um, but he's talking about the... the I guess it's the workarounds is, is really what we're talking about here for Africa yeah, players, so right? Location swaps. Yeah. Because it's hard to get your own. It's inevitable. Start at the moment. Work, um, workarounds with return feed with um, previously supplied Russian EUP. Yeah. There's a bunch of different things. Now, on the one hand, that makes it very attractive and appealing to traders, yeah. including the, the big players who've got their own trading capacity. But then it, at a strategic level, it becomes very interesting. Let's say you're an SMR developer and you're starting to see that maybe you need to invest in some uranium so that when it comes to selling your product, you've got mm-hmm. supply secured. Well, if you want to sell your SMRs all around the world, you want Namibian uranium because it can go all around the world. Yeah. Well, it happens in oil, right? You know, Iranian oil finds its way into markets it shouldn't be, including the Israeli market. Um, so it's it's inevitable these workarounds will happen, and then do they finance guys work out how to do these things? It's yeah, in- interesting times on the, on that front for Africa. Yeah. Um, again, bifurcation in terms of price. Again, I wonder when we start to actually. I think we'll start seeing a premium soon. Yeah, interesting times. Interesting times. And when I say all around the world, I don't mean Iran and North Korea. No, it's let felt a bit. Wink. No, <laughs> no wink. No wink, Matthew. Oh, Mr. Trump would make it happen. He definitely would. Um, he's friends with everyone. Um, right, okay, I think we, that's a nice little roundup of, of, for, for, for this week, and I thought it was a good session, actually. I know we kind of did, it's going to formulate type structures where we sort of talk about um, bundle of the week, etc. I do, I, do, I do miss that, but I really enjoyed today's conversation because there's so much going on. It's super exciting. Should we get our party hats on and have a drink? Yeah, I think... Uh, the 100 Club? The oh. Right, we like it. Let's do it. Do you want the 100 Club? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, see you soon.